0: confronted at last with the Atlantis I had formerly deemed largely a myth, I was the most eager of explorers. At the bottom of that valley, a river once had flowed, for as I examined the scene more closely, I beheld the remains of stone and marble bridges and seawalls and terraces and embankments once verdant and beautiful. In my enthusiasm, I became nearly as idiotic and sentimental as poor Clensa, and was very tardy in noticing that the southward current had ceased at last, allowing the U-29 to settle slowly down upon the sunken city as an aeroplane settles upon a town of the upper earth. I was slow too in realizing that the school of unusual dolphins had vanished. This is episode three of Tales from the Witch House, and today we're covering The Temple by H.P. Lovecraft. Small disclaimer before we start, today's format will be different than usual. We won't have quotes from the story besides that first one you just heard, Instead, today, I've taken plot points and modernized them. Please let me know which format you prefer listening to. Do you prefer the modernized telling of the story, or do you prefer hearing plot points littered with quotes from the actual writing? I need help deciding where this podcast is going to go in the future, as I like both ways of listening. Now, let's get on with the story. Lieutenant Commander Carl Heinrich, aka Murderous Jerk, as I'm going to refer to him throughout the story, of the Imperial German Navy is commanding a U-29 submarine, and after some events take place, he decides he's going to keep a journal. The following are his entries: The crew, some of which are also murderous jerks, sink a British freighter, letting the crew leave by lifeboats as the U-29 takes footage. After they collect the footage, they gun every single one of them down. The next time the u-29 surfaces they find a handsome and very dead seaman from the british ship clinging to the top rails of their submarine the crew search the body before tossing it overboard and find a strange ivory carving of a young child's head probably best to keep that right the commander asked a fellow officer lieutenant Klinsa, who was less of a jerk but still a jerk Klinsa agreed and said it was probably worth a good amount of money so he puts it in his pocket The men throw the body over the rails, and as they did, many of the regular crew members swore his eyes snapped open to look at them. The only elderly man aboard, Muller, watched the body as it hit the water and told everyone that it took a swimming position and swam away deeper into the depths. Carl, Commander Jerkface, scolded the crew ruthlessly, being extra rough with Muller. The next day, men aboard the U-29 were having awful nightmares and acting very nervous and stupid. Remember, this account is written by our favorite commander, Carl. After using threats to make sure they were not faking their illness, Carl let them off of their duties. They were not bothering the rest of the crew, so no extreme actions would be taken on them yet. The seas were rough and the waves were very large, so they descended to a deeper depth where it was more calm. They planned to lie in wait there to intercept another ship that they had knowledge was coming this way. In the early evening of the same day, they rose to the surface to find the sea was much calmer than it was before. A battleship lay on the horizon, but the U-29 was safe from it. Muller, the elderly man that had received such hate from Carl earlier, was acting like an erratic child. I saw bodies floating by the portholes. Men's faces that I had killed or seen killed were all staring at me. The man we threw overboard yesterday is their leader now, Muller told the commander in an earnest and frightened tone. Carl scoffed and had Muller put in irons and then proceeded to whip him mercilessly in front of the crew. The crew showed some distress at this, but fear kept them quiet. One seaman spoke up, his name was Zimmer. He asked if the ivory idol could be tossed overboard, but it was declined with a stern look from Commander Carl, whip still in hand. June 20th, two of the men became violently insane. Though German lives are precious, I killed them both, Carl wrote in his daily entry. The crew accepted it sullenly, and Muller was calmed after the event and went back to work. Muller and Zimmer went missing in the week that followed. They jumped off the boat in their madness, Carl told Lieutenant Klinsett in an offhand tone. Klinsa was eagerly aggravated by everything, including a swarm of dolphins that had been following the boat for some time, and was steadily growing in numbers. June 28th, and the commander decided to head home, as the ship they were waiting for had never arrived. The crew had some type of interesting run-in with the school of dolphins, but Commander Murder did not think it was important enough to journal more information on it. Early afternoon, there was a large explosion in the engine room that took everyone aboard the U-29 by shock. The machinery and the men appeared to be working seamlessly, but it happened anyway. Two men died instantly. They could control the ship's depth and opening the hatches, but could not propel or guide the submarine due to the extensive damage to the mechanisms. The U-29 was drifting constantly to the south. Dolphins gathered in large numbers to swim next to it as it continued its unguided journey for reasons unknown to anyone aboard. On July 2nd, an American ship was spotted and the crew begged the commander to surrender as they were in much peril. But the commander shot a man to calm the crew, saying, he would rather they all die as strong-willed Germans than be saved by Americans. A large and vicious storm racks the ocean and they are forced to submerge deep to keep the ship safe from damage. They are slowly running out of electricity and air supply, though they were doing their best to conserve it. They had no choice. Once the sea became calm again, they sought to rise back to the surface only to find they could no longer go upwards. The remaining crew members grew very frightened. Speaking of the Ivory Idol and of the haunted dead men, Commander Carl pulled out his gun and aimed it at a few of them and they quieted. Lieutenant Klinsa kept them busy with this list of meaningless tasks to keep their hands and minds distracted. Carl and Klinsa took turns sleeping to keep an eye on the unhinged seamen that remained aboard. At 5 a.m. on July 4th, a mutiny happened. The men were screaming, breaking items and causing any damage they could manage. Klinsa was powerless to calm them. The commander did not hesitate to shoot all six men and then checked they were all dead before resting. The two remaining men dumped the bodies out of the hatches into the deep ocean. Klinsa took to drinking heavily in boring conversations that were turning less and less intelligent. All remaining instruments were now broken, and they only were hoping to conserve the electricity and oxygen for as long as they could. When they looked out the towers' large windows at the ocean around them, they saw the mass of dolphins still swimming with the submarine though both men knew it was far too deep for air-breathing mammals to exist. The U-29 was still steadily drifting south and sinking deeper and deeper. Lieutenant Klinsa was now becoming less rational, his mind for science leaving them at the obvious death that was looming over. Please God forgive me for all the men, women, and children I have murdered. He would whisper over and over to himself as he stared at the ivory idol. As time passed, his prayers turned into stories of things lost and hidden in the deep ocean. What about giant eyes I saw earlier, Carl said to Klinsa. What? Klinsa shook and looked about furatively at the windows. Oh, well, maybe they were just rocks, Carl would follow up with, enjoying the reaction of the man as he fell deeper into madness. Occasionally, the commander would feel sympathetic to Klinsa. After all, he was a German. Klinsa, you know that you are mad at the thought of your inevitable demise, right? There are no sea monsters in Deadman. Then I would prefer to die mad than to stay sane in this way of dying. The commander would only shrug. Okay, if you want to be that way, but you are not a good man to die with. I know that my sons and other men's sons will be taught to be like me, and that is all I need to die proudly. August 9th, they finally saw the ocean floor and scanned it with their powerful searchlight. To their surprise, they saw strange shapes with plant overgrowth and what appeared to be unfamiliar carvings. It frightened Klinsa, as he was already unhinged, though the commander assumed there had to be logical reasons for their existence here. Untested as it was, the U-29 was holding up to the deep-sea pressure remarkably well, though the dolphins that still circled the submarine made no sense to him. August 12th was the day that Klinsa finally lost his mind. He is calling and we must go. We must repent and find peace within the ocean with the dead men. It is our last chance. He yelled and grabbed the commander's arm, dragging and pulling him towards the hatch from out of the library. The commander once again tried to explain that he was suffering from pure madness, but Klinsa said very calmly that this was the way he wanted. Commander Carl obliged, for who was he to say when a man could or could not end his own life? Would you mind leaving the ivory idol though? It is rather pretty and if I should get rescued, I would still like to sell it. Carl asked nonchalantly as he turned the levers to release the hatch that would send Klinsa to his death. Klinsa just laughed and shook his head. Carl shrugged, and Klinsa went out of the hatch without hesitation. The now alone commander used the spotlight to look for Klinsa's body, wondering if the water pressure would flatten it altogether, but he could not see anything due to the very large mass of dolphins surrounding the U-29. He thought of the ivory idol for some time, and wished Klinsa was around to pick on, to distract him from the end he knew was approaching him. The next day, he went to the tower to use the searchlight on the ocean floor as it distracted him from his solitude and he saw there was a deep drop-off ahead. The submarine went over the edge but did not drop immediately, but instead started a slow descent. He shined the light directly below him to look at the marine valley. Our murderous protagonist was baffled at what he saw below him. Edifices and statues adorned with carvings he did not recognize, buildings with architecture beautiful and preserved, and he knew he was looking upon Atlantis though he previously had determined it was a myth. Carl was filled with joy and excitement at the find and spent time coming up with a plan to explore his discovery, though he was alone, very deep in the ocean, where he was sure to perish eventually. Oh, the dolphins have gone, he noted offhandedly. The U-29 came to rest on a paved plaza in the center of the very large city. On one side of it was a large and beautiful temple, hollowed from solid rock. The doors sat wide open, pitch black darkness within, And the roof was held with large and marvelous pillars covered in ancient carvings of beautiful people priests and priestesses he assumed bearing strange ceremonial devices completely untarnished by the water the commander spent most of his time left gazing at the city before him wasting tons of electricity to pass the light over it he wanted to see what lay within the blackness of the temple's doors but alas the light would not pierce it not knowing what the pressure would do to his body he donned his metal diving suit portable light, and breathing gear. The hatching mechanism will be difficult to manage, but I, a man of science and of German will, shall make it work. He said out loud to no one. And in fact, he did make it work. He stepped out onto the sea floor to explore the city before him. The date was August 16th, and he explored the streets of the dead city all alone. No noise could be heard, and he found no skeletons in any place that he visited. He learned some knowledge of the city and its practices, but he did not bother to write any of it down. He stayed out until his flashlight battery died, and then he returned to the U29 to recharge it and visit the temple the next day. As he went to charge his portable battery, he realized the equipment to do so had been damaged in the mutiny. Ruined my fun even in death! he yelled to the silent and dark submarine before turning to the tower and focusing the large search beam on the door of the temple. After donning his diving suit once again, he approached the temple on foot, hoping that the light would illuminate at least some of the inside of the building, but it did not. The light hit at an upwards angle and showed nothing on the inside, not even the ceiling. The blackness seemed to swallow the light up. Commander Carl was then shock with a crippling dread. Perhaps like that of the men who had saw the barrel of his pistol just before life was pulled away from them, and he did not like it. He went back to the submarine at once and turned off all the electricity so he could save it for emergencies. The next day was spent in total darkness, thinking about things that threatened to overtake his fragile grasp on his sanity. He could not fall asleep that night and turned on the lights even though he knew it to be a waste. He sat, staring at his pistol and considering suicide for some time. But eventually must have fallen asleep for when he awoke the lights were off and all of his electricity source was depleted he lit a few matches and continued to think about his soon coming death as he did so the image of the ivory idol floated past his mind's eye and then he realized the carvings on the temple were of the same angelic child dazed by the knowledge yet not terrified he took a sedative and went back to sleep he dreamed of drowning people and the dead faces of long dead men staring at him through the ship's portholes. When he at last woke, he was filled with an unquenchable urge to visit the temple and grew more and more strong with every passing minute. And he realized then that this was the madness that took Klinsa and all the men before him. He looked out the U-29's windows and saw strong palpable light shining out of the doors and figures dancing within. Much to his confusion though, the light illuminated the inside of the submarine enough that he could navigate and pick up objects something only a real light source should allow. Then he heard the singing piercing the walls of the completely soundproof vessel. It was a chanting mixed with an ethereal singing. He lit a match and took another sedative, which calmed the delusions a bit. Again, he went to the tower, though he had no light to shine now, and saw the same light inside the temple and the same figures waltzing and moving around inside. As he looked, he saw more and more visions, things he could not possibly describe to pen and paper. His impulse to visit the temple became more than he could deny. His iron German will bested. He once again put on his diving suit and all the air he had left, and chronicled this tale to let go of once he exited the submarine for the final time. I have no fear, for as the madness takes me, I shall die of suffocation, calmly, like a German, walking up the stairs to that primordial shrine that calls to me. And that's the end of the story. I like The slow decline of every character into madness, that is a theme that I love in any story or any movie, I find it to be very interesting. And though slow paced, it is very worthwhile to see him succumb in the end. What do you guys think? Do you think everybody went crazy from being isolated and stuck in a submarine with no air, knowing eventually you're going to die? Or was it something else, an evil... Water deity. I don't know. Let me know what you think. You can follow me on Instagram at BreeAnimator. Animator. I know uh, eventually I'll make a page for the podcast, but as for now, I'm just using my personal one. As always, please send me any story suggestions on Instagram, Twitter, even on my Twitch channel if you want to hang out and watch me play some horror games. I'm there three times a week Thursday, Saturday, Sunday at 9 p.m. Central Time. And even my channel rewards have something to do with literature, so if you want to come hang out there, I'd be happy to have you. I will link all of the socials in the description below, a full PDF to this story if you would like to read it yourself as well. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time.